praise the Lord. I'm so thankful for the salvation that we have. It's not salvation we deserve, that's for certain. But I praise the Lord for saving us. And those of you who trusted in Christ for Savior know what I'm talking about. And I pray that today, if you don't know, I would encourage you to, to accept him today. God wants you to accept him. God loves you. I want you to take your Bible, if you would, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It was good to have Bodie here with us this morning, first church service. Congratulations to Isaiah and Brooke on a beautiful baby boy this past week. And man, they don't mess around. He's in church today. I praise the Lord. Good to see you guys here this morning. Good to have your family here with us as well. And uh, we praise the Lord. Been praying, and uh, God brought that baby at the exact right time. Bodie, seven seven pounds ten ounces. Am I right on that? How long was how long was he? Twenty inches long. And I can tell you this, he's got a lot of hair. He's probably a little longer than 20 inches with that hair he's got on there, I'll tell you. I think he takes after his daddy. He looks, he's, he's really a beautiful baby boy. Well, congratulations to you both. It's so good to see you back and doing well. Continue to pray for you. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We'll be reading verse 2 here in just a moment. What was on your mind this week? What was the prevalent thought? What were you thinking about during those hours at work? What were you thinking about when you got home from work? What went through your mind? You know, we as Christians, we understand looking forward to something and get excited about it. I, I, I understand it. As a kid, I remember looking forward to Christmas. Some of y'all were looking forward when Christmas came. You were looking forward to that day. You couldn't hardly wait, man. Raise your hand up. You're one of those kids like beginning, the beginning of December, you're starting to count down the days. You can't hardly wait for it. I mean, it wouldn't cross your, a day would not pass that you didn't think about, man, how many days till Christmas? How many of y'all have one of those little calendars that you opened up, had little chocolate behind the door, and, and one of those, yeah, you got to eat a little piece of chocolate every time, every day. Man, I couldn't wait for it. I couldn't wait for Christmas to get there. Then the Christmas Eve, I mean, you, oh, you, I couldn't go to sleep. It was so hard. You know why? Because I was thinking about what was coming. I knew it was going to be an exciting day. Man, I knew mom and dad had been talking about and all the preparations. And okay, now you go in the other room. We're going to be wrapping some gifts and all the different fun stuff, you know, that went with that. And man, I couldn't wait for it. You know, we as Christians, a lot of times, I think we don't think enough about heaven. If we were really to grasp the thought about heaven, it'd be something that would be prevalent on our mind, our thinking. Be something that we'd be looking forward to every day. Looking, man, you know what? This might be the day the Lord comes. This might be the day that we get to go to heaven. And thinking about heaven and thinking about what God has promised us, what a wonderful place it is, and the thought about heaven. And the sad truth is, most Christians today, they don't give heaven much thought. You get caught up in the busyness of life. You get caught up in going through work and all the different things and all the cares of this world, and yet we... We oftentimes, we don't even give a second thought to heaven during the week. We don't think of it as we should. Philip Yancey, who is a well-known Christian author, he wrote this. He said, although most of us believe in an afterlife, no one much talks about it. Christians believe that we'll spend eternity in a splendid place called heaven. Isn't it a little bit bizarre that we simply ignore heaven, acting like it doesn't matter? How true it is. 
You see, the truth is, the more you know and think about heaven, the more it will influence the way you live your life on earth. A lot of times we talk about heaven, we talk about all the wonderful things that heaven are going to be, and yes, it's going to be. Today, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about all the wonderful things. Yes, there's going to be streets of gold, and the Bible talks about mansions. The Bible talks about all the wonderful things that we're going to have in heaven, and who we're going to see in all those. I would hope if you've been in church for any amount of time, you have at least a small grasp about heaven. What I want to talk today about is about thinking about heaven and how it will impact our life here on earth. How it will impact the way we live today. How it will impact what we're going to do tomorrow, what we're going to do this week. I want us to spend some time talking about and, and looking at and thinking about heaven. Here we see a passage of scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2. Perhaps from the, the wisest man that ever lived aside from Jesus Christ himself, Solomon. He writes this down in these words and I want you to look at it a little bit when you look at these words, a little confusing, but I want to just think about it for a moment. You try to figure out what he's talking about. Look at verse number two. Look at what it says. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. And the living will lay it to his heart. Interesting verse. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For it is, at the, end, it is the end of all men and the living will lay it to his heart heart. You see, what Solomon is telling us here is that, uh, that when we look at this life, well, let me just give you an illustration. How many of y'all would rather go to, now don't get funny with me, how many of y'all would rather go to a funeral or go to a wedding? Would it be a funeral? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. Most people wouldn't. Now, some of you guys are going to joke, well, a wedding is a funeral. No, it's not. Wedding is a most wonderful day. It's a great day. It's not a funeral at all. I loved my wedding, and I'm so thankful I married my wife. She's up here signing. I can't get away with anything. She's listening to every word. I want to be really nice today. I won't say anything bad about her. Nothing like, I, always, I always say good things about her, of course. But um, <laughs> anyway, I better just get out of that subject right there. I'm going to get in trouble. But I was so thankful for that day. But let's think about it now. Where did you learn the most? The first funeral you went to or the first wedding you went to? What impacted your life the most? What causes you to think about your life the most? Is it the wedding or the funeral? I think for most people, it's a funeral. I remember when I was very young, my dad was a pastor. I remember going to the first funeral, and wow, man. Wedding was a big deal, but I tell you, the funeral was more surreal to me than the wedding. You think about that person that's in that casket has died. That person has died. They took their last breath here on earth. And... They're either in heaven or they're in hell. There's a lot to think about at a funeral. It's not just to think about the loss of a loved one or perhaps a friend, but it's also the thought of thinking about the brevity of life. Life is so short. I've done some funerals. Funerals when the baby was barely born. Children. But even at that, when you think about people, when you think about eternity, and you look at it as opposed to the life that we're living now, this life is so short compared to eternity. The life that we're living. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Yeah, we're going to die unless the Lord does return to rapture the church. We're going to take our last breath here on earth. We're going to face death. Every person here. We're going to die eventually. Unless the Lord raptures us, we're going to have to die. And every one of us, we're going to give an account. The Bible says about the judgment. And I praise the Lord for a born-again Christian. We're not going to be at the great white throne judgment. Judged for our sin. 
The judgment of my sin was held there on Calvary's cross. When Jesus Christ paid my sin debt, when he said it is finished, he proclaimed his victory over sin and death, and he proclaimed that for me because I trusted in Christ as my Savior. It was applied to me. He died in my place. He paid my sin debt. And if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, the same holds true for you. But nonetheless, physically, one day, if the Lord tarries, we're going to die. We're going to have to give an account. There's another judgment seat. The Bible talks about a great white throne judgment. Those that are dead for trespasses and sin will be judged, be cast in the lake of fire for all eternity. Then there's going to be Christians that will be judged. Those of us that are born-again Christians, we're not going to be judged for our sin. The judgment's already been paid for, but we're going to have to give an account for how we were a steward of what God has blessed us with, our time, talent, and treasure. The Bible equates it to being wood, hay, and stubble, which is going to be burnt up, which is nothing. It's nothing for eternity as far as rewards go. No crown to throw at the feet of Jesus as far as, I like the symbolism of that. But there also is the the precious stone and the the gold and silver. the, The idea behind that is it's something that's going to last. The point is, is that we're going to die and we're going to have to give an account for either our own sin because we've never trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. By the way, I didn't say that because we've never become a member of a church or never been baptized or never gave money to the church or never did good deeds. No, listen, the only way that we can possibly get saved is when we come to a, a, the knowledge that we're a sinner in need of a Savior and we believe that Jesus died for us. He is then our Savior, that he rose again the third day and we by faith trust in him alone, plus nothing plus nothing else. We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God is raised from the dead. The Bible says, then thou shalt be saved. Plus nothing else. That's how a person gets saved. And, and listen, today, God wants you to be saved. So, But the truth is, though, we, the life is very short. The Bible talks about how short life is. I mean, how do you feel when you come across a scripture like this one? 1 Peter 1.24, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. In other words, life is short, man. You look at grass, look how fast this summer went. How quickly it's alive, and then it, it seems like it's gone. The flower is alive, and it's gone. I love daffodils, man. I love springtime when those daffodils come up. But, man, they don't last very long. Come up and they bloom and they say, good morning, sun's shiny, and then they're gone. Our life is just like that. How about this one, James 4, verse 14b, it says, For what is your life that is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away? We've seen some of that this week. You're looking out there and you see on the field, perhaps you went out hunting yesterday. I don't know if you've ever been on a field. I've been on a soybean field in the morning and the sun, before the sun comes up and shines, there's that mist that's out there on the field. It's so amazing. It's beautiful, actually, other than the fact you can't see the deer very well. And that sun comes up and it's gone. It's gone. It's vanishing. It's gone. God equates our life to that. Life is so short. How about Psalm 39, verse 4? Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is. Why? That I may know how frail I am. He's actually praying and saying, God, help me to see the frailty of my life. Help me to understand. And you know what, really, when a person prays a prayer like this, they're really saying, I need you, God. I can't do it all. I'm not Superman. Not a one of us here can do everything. We can't do it. We can't be the father that God wants us to be, men. Ladies, we can't be the mother that God wants you to be. We can't be the Christian that God wants us to be. I can't be the pastor God wants me to be. I need his help. 
We can't do anything in life that lasts for eternity without his help. And so we need to focus on the fact that focus on the fact that this life is but a vapor. This life is like grass and it withers away. This life is going to be here. And we need to know that our life is short. And we need to really pay attention to how we're living our life. It's so short. You see, we can respond in our life and what we do with our life. We can decide what we're going to do and respond to it in a couple of different ways. And so when we think about heaven, the first point I want to share with you is this. It ought to remind us that we're not going to live forever. What I've just shared with you. We're not going to live forever. And it will cause us to look at our life. You see, we can live our life in one of two ways. The first way that we can live our life is to waste our life. To waste our life. To waste it away. To go on and, and waste my life and, and do things that are a waste. Now, you might ask, well, what is a waste of life? You know, during Jesus' earthly ministry, he told us what he considers wasting your life. And, and I can tell you this, one of the greatest ways you can waste, waste your life is to do everything that God tells you not to do, first of all. You want to waste your life away? Don't do anything that God tells you to do, and don't do what God tells you not to do. You're going to waste your life. And Jesus, when he was here on this earth, and he, he talked about how you can waste your life. If you remember talking to the Pharisees, talking to the Pharisees and, and how that they were trying to live their life for the praise of men. You want to waste your life? Live your life every day to try to please other people only and not God. Look for the praise of men. If all you're doing in life is just so somebody can say attaboy or say, hey, good job, and all you're worried about is people, and all you're worried about is look what the other people see, listen, that's going to be a waste of life. Jesus says you've got your reward if that's what you're looking for, if all you're doing it for is man. How about letting your work interfere with your life? Now, I'm not talking about work. Everybody should work. There's no doubt about that, but... Let me put it in the simplest terms. If you are letting your work interfere with your relationship with God, you are wasting your life. If your work is more important than your relationship with God, you are wasting your life. You know, I don't believe in all the years that I've, I've been in ministry that I've had anybody say toward the end of their life, when, seriously, when they're on the last moments of their life, on their deathbed, and I've seen many people go through this, I've never heard one of them say, man, I wish I just had 20 more hours to work at my job. Never heard that before. But I have heard people with regrets. I have heard people say, man, I wish I'd have shared, I wish I'd have shared Jesus with, my, with my, my sister, with my brother. I wish I'd have done more for the Lord. I wish I'd have been more faithful in raising my kids in a Christian home. Living a life full of regrets because they've wasted so much of their time. You know, another way that you can waste your life is by allowing yourself and your possessions to control you, yourself, rather than being controlled by God in your life. Letting your possessions control you. So what are you living for right now? Why do you go to work? Why do you get up in the morning? What is your purpose in life? Are you allowing your possessions to control you? You know, Jesus, he told a story about a farmer who had a bumper crop. This farmer's yield was so much that he had to build bigger barns for it. 
By the way, nothing wrong with being successful. That wasn't the point. The point was the man's life was very short. The man's life, he had put all his effort, all of his life into building bigger and better farms and wanting more and more and more and building things and the things that he owned, they owned him. And when he got to the end of his life, this is what Jesus said about him. That man's a fool because God requires your soul today. You know, you can't take it with you. There's often times, though, if we're not careful, we let possessions control us. I mean, how many of you have missed church, missed a family gathering, or failed to show up on time for an appointment because one of your possessions required your attention? And so we can waste our life. That's one way we can live our life. Or... We can set out to make our life count for Jesus. You know, simply put, living a life that counts is living the way that God instructed us to live from his word. And if we'll do that, people are going to see Christ in us. Paul, he says that that should be the goal of every one of us, that people would see Christ in us. In Philippians 1.20, he said this, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness and as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. That in nothing I shall be ashamed. He wanted Christ to be magnified. He wanted people to see it in his life and death. And I will tell you this, based on what I read about the Apostle Paul, he achieved that goal. God was glorified with his life. And we often think about the apostles and we think about the apostle Paul as being some superhuman person. Man, I'll tell you what, the power that he had, God in his life, you could say was superhuman. But he was just a man, just like us men. He was just a person like every person that's here. He was a person that started out his life really bad, by the way. You remember the story of the apostle Paul. How that he was name was Saul and how he was a persecutor of the Christians and all the things that he did. And he, he was so steeped with religion and trying to work his way, trying to be good enough to get to heaven, trying to earn favor with God by the deeds that he did. And yet he was never saved until he came into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ and it changed his life. He was born again. God changed him. And now his expectation was this and his hope was that nothing that he'd be ashamed, but that people would see God magnified in his life. So let me ask you the question. In light of heaven reminding us that life is short, do I waste my life or do I make it count? We all acknowledge that life is short. We all acknowledge that if you're a child of God, you're on your way to heaven. We're going to be in heaven one day. But listen, are you making your life count? Are you serving God? Is God being glorified? Is being magnified in your body? Secondly, thinking about heaven ought to remind me that hell is real. Hell is real. Hell is a real place. It's just as real as heaven. Christ spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Hell is a real place. I don't like to talk about it, but we must. If hell wasn't talked about, I wouldn't be born again today. I wouldn't be saved. If hell wasn't preached about, I never would have heard. It took a message on hell for me to come to know Christ as my Savior. Because I knew I didn't want to die and go to hell. Hell is a real place that I believe that with all of my heart. That's why I trusted in Christ as my Savior. Some people could say because I love the Lord. Listen, I didn't understand loving the Lord until I came to know Christ as my Savior. And I came to know Christ as my Savior because I didn't want to go to hell. I'm being honest with you. Because I knew God's word was true. God's word said that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I knew I was a sinner. 
I knew I couldn't be good enough. I believe what Jesus Christ did for me. I wanted to go to heaven. I didn't want to go to hell. But we have to realize that if we think about heaven, it will remind us that, yes, there is a hell. Not everybody talking about heaven's going to heaven, by the way. It's an old Negro spiritual. A lot of folks talk about heaven, but not everybody talks about heaven's going to heaven. But if you're truly a born-again Christian, you're a child of God on your way to heaven, when you think about heaven, we ought to be reminded in this world that we're living, not everybody's going there right now. There are people that are lost all around us. They need to see Christ magnified in our life. They need to see that God is real in our life. They need to see the love of God in our life. They need to see the Lord, the Lord is our salvation, the light that's within us, that people would see that in us. Hell is real. Heaven is real. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God, he wants for anyone that would be willing, he wants them to be saved. There was a survey by LifeWay Research at the end of 2014 that said this, that 67% of Americans believe in heaven. 67%. But what's interesting is that only 53% of those that were, that were surveyed believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. 53%. Now, if I were to ask you today, what is the way to heaven? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? What is your reply? Yes. Yet, the survey, 53% of those that were surveyed believe that. Only 53%. Now, I'll tell you something. My Bible tells me that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Word of God says. There's only one way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what Jesus Christ said himself. So there's only one way, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have a problem, you see. 53% of Americans believe that Jesus is the only way. The rest don't. There's a problem. The survey went on to say that 61% of Americans believe that hell is a real place. 61%. Now, were you paying attention? <laughs> 67 believe in heaven. 61 believe that there is a hell that's real. But only 18% of Americans believe that just one sin without Christ as your Savior would send a person to hell for eternity. Catch that? And so 61 believe that there's a hell. 61%. But only 18% believe that only one sin would damn you to hell for eternity. You know, a lot of Christians today that won't even argue that point. They want to argue that and say that's not true. God would never do that. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. All it takes is one sin for you to be a sinner. One sin. And when I'm witnessing to people, I ask them, and they say, well, no, I, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And yes, as far as humanly speaking, they probably are. There's a lot of good people, humanly speaking. But there's none righteous. No, not one is what the Bible says. That means that person that does right all the time. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but anybody here done right their entire life all the time, never done anything wrong, never sinned one time? None of us. The Bible says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all fall short, no matter how good we try to be. Every one of us are sinners. And yet only 18% of Americans believe that just one sin without knowing Christ as your Savior would send a person to hell for eternity. But that's what it takes, just one time sinning. By the way, you're born a sinner. The Bible says we are born dead in our trespasses and sin. That's the way I came into this world. 
I praise the Lord going out, I'm not going to be dead in my trespasses and sin because I've been born again. I'm a child of God on my way to heaven. If you've been saved, listen, you're a child of God. You're no longer dead in your trespasses and sin. You're on your way to heaven. But coming back to the point, all it takes is one sin. And by the way, what is the unpardonable sin? Of course, being a sinner means we're condemned. But really, what is the actual sin that pushes you over the prefaces into hell? What is it? Unbelief. Rejection. That's what it is. Because Christ, he came to die for sinners. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. That's me. That one sin that pushes me over the edge is me not receiving the gift that, that, that God gave to us, his son. The Bible says, for, all have, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That gift that he offers, when people reject that, that is the sin that really condemns them to a, a Christless eternity in hell. And so when we look at the Bible, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us that one sin without Christ would send a person to eternity in hell. And so we have a problem. People that don't agree with that. There's many people that try to deny that. And so we have an urgency problem, number one. And we have a getting out the truth problem as well in this short life that we have. How urgent is the urgent problem? I want you to look at your Bible. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse 20 if you would. Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse number 20. You love the word of God, say amen. amen. I'd love to hear you turn in your Bible there. Look at chapter 22, look at verse 20. I like this verse. Notice what it says. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. Christ is saying, I'm going to come quickly. It's going to happen quick. John's response, what does he say? Come, Lord Jesus. Hey, come on, Lord. A lot of people pray in that prayer. I'll tell you, the last couple of years, I've been praying it more. I, I will tell you the truth, I have. I've always wanted the Lord. I say always. I've got to rephrase that. That would be not the truth. There was a time in my life when I was saying, Lord, please wait a little while. Before I got married, Lord, please wait a while so I can get married. Lord, please wait a while so I can have some kids. Anybody else like that? You kind of were hoping the Lord would wait just a little while. So you, you know, I'm just being honest with you. I was young then, and I you didn't understand things. I still don't understand a lot, but I understand things better than I did then. Now I look at it and say, Lord, come quickly. Man, my, my, this thumb's starting to hurt. This knee's starting to hurt. I mean, the things of this world is causing you to say, what in the world is going on? And you want the Lord to come quickly. But here we see the Lord. He says, surely I come quickly. He's going to come. And so we have an urgent problem here. It's urgent because Jesus says it's urgent. It's also urgent because life is like a vapor. We can talk about the Lord. He hasn't come back yet. It's been, you know, 2,000 years. But he said he's going to come quickly. Well, he's going to come quickly. One thing I can guarantee you that he's going to come because he said he would. Another thing I can guarantee you is this. Life is short. Life is but a vapor. What if the Lord does tarry? How are you living your days? There's an urgent need that we have. Do you realize that it is our responsibility in this generation to reach this generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not the Apostle Paul's problem anymore. <laughs> in, in, in his day, he was out there. He's planting churches. He was out there weeping for his brethren. He was out there praying. He was out there preaching. He was out there sharing. 
He was reaching his generation. What are we doing to reach this generation? Life is short. Time is short. We have an urgent need. Urgent. We're fighting the clock. It's ticking away to the end. We're also fighting the, the problem that our family, our friends, and our coworkers may not know the truth. Once again, the reason why I even shared those statistics is because most people, they think they're okay because they're not a bad person. They just like maybe one sin they would probably admit to. I was witnessing to a guy this week, and he wouldn't even admit to the fact he sinned. And then I said, did you ever take anything that wasn't yours? And he said, yes. But he couldn't see it. He couldn't see that he was a sinner. Listen, we have a problem, an urgent problem. We have a struggle because there's many people that are trusting in a religious system to get them to heaven. They're trusting in a, a religious church. This man I was talking to, I was witnessing to him. He went to a church, and the founder of his church said these famous words, the just shall live by faith. When I shared with him about whether he could know for sure that he's going to heaven, he says, no, I don't know. I, I, I'm just being a good person. I said, but the founder of your church you go to said, the just shall live by faith. Couldn't understand it. There's so many people like that. They go to a church, they're part of a religion, and even if their founder understood it, they've gotten so far away from the truth of believing and trusting in Christ as a Savior. They're going through the work salvation, many of which the, those protested that got away from the Catholic Church, protesting the fact of the, that, that, that uh, the Word of God is the final authority and, and protesting the fact that you have to work your way to heaven. Many of them now, those mainstream religions, are right back doing the same thing, taking the holy sacraments, trying to take of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ in hopes of that being the grace that they receive. That's what a sacrament is. It means by receiving God's grace. They think that that is receiving salvation. If it's not that one, it might be some other one. It might be the last rite. So they're trusting in all these religious things, and yet they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. If you know that you're going to heaven, time is short. It's urgent. People don't believe the word of God. We've got to, we have to be the word of God for them. They have to see it as a living epistle read by the men and the women around us, the family that's around us, seeing that God is real, that God is being glorified in us, and that we won't be ashamed of how we're living our life, that people would see that, that heaven is real in our life. Listen, Christians, on sadly to say, we don't think about heaven enough, and we, we're, so, we're constantly looking at all the terrible things. We walk around like, life is horrible. We ought not be walking around looking that way. Now, we all have bad days. I understand it. But if we get to thinking about heaven, we think about how quick life goes by. We think about the short time that we have. We start thinking that the Lord is coming and it could come quickly. And we know that heaven is forever. We know that we're going to be there. And we know that, hey, listen, there's people right now that if the Lord came back now, they'd be left behind challenges our hearts to share with them. We have a need. It's so important that we think about heaven. We need to live with a sense of urgency. We need to live with the boldness to tell others that you love and telling them the truth. Time is short. Thirdly and lastly, thinking about heaven reminds me that I should have the proper perspective about the things that I endure or watch others, other Christians endure. Thinking about heaven changes my perspective about those challenges that we go through, those hardships that we go through, those trials, those storms that we go through, or watch our brothers and sisters go through. 
You know, many people, they often ask, well, why did a loving God let me go through that horrible tragedy? Or why did God allow me to witness a horrible tragedy in the life of someone that I love? Why, God? You know, the answer to that is, oftentimes we don't know. It's not about a why. Even though it's all right to ask God why. God doesn't mind if you ask why, if you have the right heart. It's not a matter of the why. Well, oftentimes we'll never know the why. We might never know the why. Even in eternity's future, we might not know why. But what we need to know is what or who. What's in control or who is in control. God is sovereign. God is in control. And if we trust God and we believe that God is who he says he is, and we believe that he is almighty and all-powerful and on the throne, we say, God, we realize that you are in control. You see tomorrow. You know what's going to happen down the road. There are people here I've heard testimony of. They had to go through the, 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 the lowest point in their life before they came to know Christ as their Savior. That's what it took. It might be that you need to go through some difficulty so somebody that you know comes to know Christ as their Savior. That people would see Christ in you. And on top of all of that, when we go through these difficulties, we go through these trials and we think about heaven. It changes our perspective about those trials. You know, the Apostle Paul knew a lot about trials. I mentioned it earlier. He went through an awful lot. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, he says that he was beaten three times with rods. And the type of beating that you're talking about, the whippings that he got, it, basically it was one, one whoop short of what they considered a death sentence. Go back and look at it sometime. Study it. He got 39 instead of 40. If he'd gotten 40, it would have been considered a death sentence. That's how close it was. How, but the beatings he got, most people died. If, it, if you got 40 stripes, you're going to get killed. You're going to die. Imagine. He was stoned, left for dead. You ever been hit in the head with a stone? It hurts. Can you imagine the stoning in that day? They weren't these little things like this either, man. They picked up the biggest thing they could possibly throw at you. They thought he was dead, and they walked away, and he wasn't. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a day and a night in the deep. You want to talk about suffering. You want to talk about going through difficulties. And if you were him, you could have said, why, God? I'm, I'm, I'm sold out for you, God. I'm, I'm out here starting these churches. God, I'm doing what you told me to do. But you don't see him asking that question. You don't see him going through that. The Apostle Paul he got a glimpse of heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. and He says this about what he had to endure. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, for our light affliction. Underline that in your mind. For our light affliction. I just described some of the things he went through. and this is, He says, light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That seat that you're sitting in there feels like it's, you know, hey, pretty solid. It's temporal. 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 This all of the, everything, it's temporal. Everything, the job that you work, the car that you drive, everything that we have, it's all temporal. It's just a temporal thing. That's the thing that we, the thing we don't see, which is eternal. Those rewards that we're laying up for ourselves in heaven, for the Lord's glory, for Him. He calls all those things that He endured, though, during this temporal time, light affliction. 
see, if Paul did not have the perspective of heaven, he probably would have called them horrendous difficulties. Man, it was terrible what I went through. You should have seen it. Can you hear him telling the stories? They almost beat me to death three times. Shipwrecked three times. They tried to kill me with stones. It was horrendous. No, that's not what he said. Light affliction. Short time. Temporal. It's not going to last. It's not going to be for eternity. He had his eyes on the focus of heaven. His thinking was about heaven. He understood that people needed to hear about Jesus so they could go to heaven too. They needed that peace that he had in his heart. Peace. Peace. You're laying the funeral, but there was no peace. One of the saddest things you'll ever see. I've been at the funeral, I've been at the side of the bed. The person has no peace. I remember one time I got called in and I came into the, into the room and down the hallway I could hear it. I heard wailing. I'm not, this is no exaggeration. People were wailing, were crying. I walked into the room and there was this dear lady there on the bed and she was all hooked up and they had, she was breathing those last breath, breaths of death as really it was so close you knew it was. It was the first time I had seen that. I don't mean to be crude or anything, but it reminded me of fish out of water. That's the way it was. There she was laying on that bed, and there her family was. There her sister was. Sister not next to the bed. No, she's over in the corner, and she's wailing, crying. And I walked over, and I said, you know, can I pray with you? And then she shared with me, my sister, I don't even know if she's saved. There she is. She can't hear me. She won't talk to me. And I don't know if she's going to heaven. She's ready to die. And I don't, I've never shared with her what, what Jesus did for me. I walked over to the bed. And I shared with her the simple plan of salvation from the word of God. You don't know what a person can do. You don't understand. Talked it right in her ear. And I, I led her in prayer. And I asked her if she'd like to receive Christ as a Savior. I couldn't see any response. I don't know if that lady's in heaven or hell right now. There was no peace in that room. I've also been in rooms with dear saints. When I say saint, I'm not talking about something that the Catholic Church would talk about. I'm talking about a child of God that knew God, had been born again on their way to heaven. They were a saint because of who Christ is and what he did for them, how he had put his robe of righteousness over them. He was his, their propitiation, their atoning sacrifice. And they were a dear saint, not because they were the best person the world ever had. No, they were sinners saved by God's grace. But they trusted, they had faith in God. They had a peace that passed all understanding. And I've been next to that bed, and there they are. Listen, I've seen them, and they have such peace. The family there, family knowing, mom's on her way to heaven. Mom's going to heaven. And as we sing, songs together. It's one of God's amazing gifts. Sing songs of rejoicing. Sing songs about heaven. And to see that loved one slip from the temporal into eternity. And yes, there are tears. Peace. Into joy unspeakable and full of glory because they know, listen, that's just a graduation for that loved one. 
that loved one is going to heaven. They know in all their heart they have the peace of knowing that they're going to see that loved one once again. There's going to be a great reunion day once again. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, they can they have that peace. Can we have that peace today? Do you know him? Do you trust him now? Probably the best thing you could ever give to your family is to let them know that you're a child of God. You've been born again. Not that you're a good person. Listen, when a person gets saved, they're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There should be a change in a person's life when they get saved. There's no doubt about that. But that change is not what makes you saved. What makes you saved is by you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. So the question I want to challenge you with today is what are you living your life for? We believe heaven is real. I believe most people sitting here today, we probably had a poll in here, it'd be close to 100%, if not 100%. I believe in heaven. Most everybody would say, I believe in hell. And we all would agree that life is short. question is, what are you doing with your life? Great missionary from the yesteryear. His name was C.T. Studd. Missionary to China. And he wrote a, a, a poem. It's entitled, Only One Life Will Soon Be Passed. I've quoted that phrase many times, but I've never read the poem. I want to share the poem with you, and I want you to just think about the words. Listen to what it says. Let God speak to your heart. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart. And from my mind would not depart, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in sorrow or sorrow, uh, thy word to keep, faithful and true, what's erred with the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. 
Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we pray. given us life. You've given us every breath that we have, every moment. Lord, you love us so. You gave us your son to pay our sin debt. God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for showing your love toward us while we were sinners. Giving your son to pay our sin debt. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that you would challenge each one of us. Lord, that we would look within our hearts and see if we truly are saved one again. That we have peace of knowing for sure that we're going to go to heaven. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, let me ask you, are you saved? You say saved from what? Saved from the penalty of sin. Dying and being separated from God eternally in a place called hell. Has there been a time and a place in your life you can go back to and you say, yes, I've been born again. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship. Based on the promise of his word, I know that I'm going to heaven. I have no doubt. I'm 100% sure that I'm going to heaven. If that's your testimony, would you lift your hand up high? Say, yes, I know that I'm saved. I know I'm saved. God bless you. Let me put your hands down. Perhaps you weren't able to raise your hand today. Don't have that peace. Let me ask you 